so I say D. I say D O D O D D O D G D O D G E R S team 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 O. I say. I know that we will remain intentional on utilizing this Dodger brand to amplify the voices and, frankly, to provide more open doors to access an opportunity for marginalized communities because we know that that's going to create better communities, strengthen communities, increase confidence, increase opportunities. And we're going to see some real long-term outcomes from the work that we're doing. So for us right now, it's about double downing and frankly, scaling. It's about how many more people can we serve and how can we continue to spread the benefits that this brand allows us to throughout Los Angeles. Hey, it's your friend Jason Mraz, the official spokesperson of the Good Tidings Foundation. And what an honor it is. On behalf of Good Tidings Foundation, we welcome you to the fourth season of the Good Tidings podcast that highlights the goodness in people. This episode is proudly sponsored by the San Francisco Giants. You can go to sfgiants.com for updates on the Giants and information on game tickets, special events, and promotions for the 2023 season. And now, enjoy the podcast. This month's podcast finds us in downtown Los Angeles at the Brazil Youth Center, where we are going to join forces with our next guest, the Chief Executive Officer of the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation. So welcome to the Good Tidings podcast, Nicole Whiteman. Thank you. Thanks, Larry, for having me. So we first met through the same icon and legend that helped form the Good Tidings Foundation, the one and only Vin Scully. Well, it all started following the cancellation of the World Series in 1994. A children's book was created entitled The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Something good came out of something that was not. So there was a desire to serve children in a more permanent fashion, and the Good Tidings Foundation was born in January of 1995. So as our story goes, I was still a Major League Scout back in 1994 when the World Series was canceled. So I had the idea of writing a children's book to remind kids about what baseball is really about. But I certainly was in desperate need of some star power. To help sell it, I handed off a letter to my friend, Mark Cressy, who at the time was the bullpen coach for the Dodgers. And he'd pass it on to my childhood idol, Vin Scully, to ask if he would write the foreword which amazingly to me, he graciously did. He had then-owner Peter O'Malley donate all the printing, and we gave all the money to youth charities, including the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Then a few years ago, you came to me with the idea to do a refresh of the book before Vin retired to benefit our two charities. And I know working with the Dodgers, there is no shortage of amazing, legendary figures. Why was Vin Scully really one of the best? Wow. Larry, um, I think you put it best when you said that Vin was your childhood idol. Vin was one of the best because he is an idol. He's a legend. At the Dodgers Foundation, we like to say something bigger than baseball. Vin was bigger than baseball. He was bigger than broadcast. He touched generations of people through his voice, incredibly through his voice. Um, when we think about it, yes, Vin was in that broadcast booth at Dodger Stadium, but so many of us hear stories 
over so many years of individuals who were touched just by his voice, you know, whether it was on their small radios or they ended up eventually seeing Vin on TV. Vin was kind. And I think that he was, I like to think of just this like kind king, you know, a leader of kind. And I think he just taught us to be good to one another. He taught us how to to listen to one another. And I think that's something that's just so special. Like Vin taught you how to listen, which I think was incredible. And I'm certainly so blessed, I feel, in my own lifetime here to have been able to have a relationship with him. And I'm not surprised by the fact that Vin reached out to you after Mark provided him with that letter. I'm not surprised because that's the kind of guy that Vin was. That's the kind of guy that Vin wants all of us to be. And so I just have to say he's a legend, he's an idol, and he was just so kind. Yeah, that's well put. I think that's the word that comes through to me too, is the kindness. Uh, So for you growing up in New York, were sports or philanthropy a part of your life when you were young? Or looking back, were there signs that this could be your path, that you would be in this position to help so many others? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I grew up in New York City. My parents were immigrants to this country. So I'm a first generation American, first generation college graduate. I did not think that sports or (laughs) philanthropy were in my future. I actually went to school and studied economics in college. I was a minor in management and organization. And I had been saying the entire time I grew up in New York that I was going to come back and work on Wall Street. I luckily got the opportunity to do that, put in the hard work and was recruited to work for an investment bank right out of college. And I thought I was going to be doing that forever. And the reality is I quickly came to see that and to feel like something was missing. At the time, I didn't know what was missing. So I went into the publishing industry and I worked in marketing and sponsorship and advertising for a while. And that brought me here to L.A. 21 years ago. And interestingly enough, I met the president and CEO of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. She, you know, in summary said, you need to come work for us. We're opening a satellite office here in L.A. to our New York office. And that's sort of the history behind how I entered this philanthropic space. I was a Jackie Robinson Foundation scholarship recipient and this opportunity to go work for a nonprofit organization in Jackie's legacy that had benefited me just as so many other nonprofit organizations had benefited me growing up was how that started. And so, no, I didn't think sports. No, I didn't think philanthropy. But I had been the beneficiary of so many amazing foundations in the spirit of sports and philanthropy. And it's just come full circle. Yeah. So you mentioned before landing at the Dodgers, you you worked with the Jackie Robinson Foundation. So being a scholar and then working in the foundation and working with his wife, Rachel, that had to be pretty awesome. Yes, yes. <laughs> to call Rachel Robinson My mentor is one of the most special, coveted things for me. The Jackie Robinson Foundation, while providing financial assistance, really provides a holistic youth development opportunity. It's an opportunity, frankly, for you to, yes, be afforded the chance to go to college, which it did for me. And I literally was able to go to Spelman College because of the Jackie Robinson Foundation scholarship. But the the mentoring and the leadership component that is provided, not just through the network that you're provided and the corporate sponsors and those things, but the simple things like the family for me at the time when the foundation was was far smaller and I was a scholar, you know, to be able to to interface and have regular conversations with Rachel Robinson and Sharon Robinson, and David Robinson, and to still have those today. It's a treasure. And to be able to watch this woman who 
for me right now models a lot of things that I see in myself. You know, this adversity to push through regardless of your circumstances, um, this adversity to push through, frankly, you know, with her husband who was going through so much, but also to be a wife and a nurse. She had her own profession, you know, and a mother. So many of those qualities, when you look back on it and you see what Jackie Robinson was doing at the time and how she stood by his, his side, with all of her own self, her full self there is pretty admirable. And for her to really have continued to push forward this legacy of the Jackie Robinson Foundation, I mean, it's just tremendous to watch. I was in New York for the museum opening last year and I mean, just amazing. You can see the joy in Rachel's eyes as she's seeing all of these things come to fruition. And so I assume while you're there, you just, the light bulb must have clicked on I could take this to the next level and be more engaged and make more of an impact. Yes. I always like to say at the Jackie Robinson Foundation, I sort of earned a doctoral degree in nonprofit management. There, I feel like I really was able to be groomed to understand a lot of facets of a world that I had not previously been in. I left the organization to work for a local nonprofit here in Los Angeles that reforms public schools. And I got the tools, I know I got the tools there to be able to be a leader in education nonprofit spaces prior to coming to the Dodgers Foundation. And this right here is where all of the tools that I came there and prior, you know, they all sort of come together. Yeah. You know, for me, in my background, certainly in scouting and just in watching how MLB is to this day so very slow in getting more black players into baseball and then onto the big leagues, do you in your position feel the responsibility to make sure young, talented black individuals are given at least access to opportunity to land positions in the front office? I absolutely feel responsibility towards that. You're absolutely right in that we are too low on black players on the field, and we're still quite low on black professionals in the front office in Major League Baseball. I see myself, frankly, as a black woman and a black woman executive in this industry as someone who wakes up every day and, frankly, finds it necessary to model for young black boys and young black women that this is possible. I am running a foundation that is opening doors and providing access and opportunity predominantly to youth of color, you know, many black youth here in the Los Angeles area, because unfortunately that is where we find our most underserved populations, our most marginalized populations, and our most vulnerable communities. And so when I think about black youth, they are written into the theory of action of the Dodgers Foundation. For us, it's about being very intentional about the black community and making sure that they know not only what the opportunity is on the field as America shows us, right, but the opportunities in the front office. We have a college and career accelerator where we are very specifically working with nonprofit organizations locally and showcasing black professionals who are working in the front office in sports, whether that be at the Dodgers Foundation or at other entities across our organization and more. This opportunity we feel you know, to be able to show, you have to show and you have to represent for people to think it's possible for them. There's so many opportunities, whether it be in marketing and finance. I mean, sports teams are businesses. And so all the same departments and the same professions you see there. And then you've got the special pieces in the STEM world now, performance, science and more. And so we are working with local schools here in Los Angeles with our, our STEM. We have a science and baseball curriculum um, that is geared towards youth as well. That is ensuring, obviously, that people are, are aware, too, of those 
those professions and more. I think that in our Dodgers Dream Team program, which we launched, it's formerly Dodgers RBI, in 2014, you know, we set black youth goals then, and we still have a goal that 20% of the youth in our Dodgers Dream Team program who are receiving baseball, softball, education, and health resources will be black youth by 2030. Seems like a, a low percentage, but it is very um, commensurate with the black youth population in the city of Los Angeles. Uh-huh. You know, you mentioned the Dodgers Dream Team. Uh, us as scouts really were very familiar with the RBI program. It was started by a scout mm-hmm. and the re- standing for rebuilding baseball in the inner city. But you've taken that kind of the next level into Dodgers Dream. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we rebranded and changed our name from Dodgers RBI to Dodgers Dream Team in February of 2022. And that was really in an effort to make sure that we were showcasing and embodying the comprehensive nature of the program. We are holistically there to support young boys and girls who want to develop in baseball and in softball and who want to take it to the next level, whether that be college or professional one day. And I think that we're so lucky to be connected to a brand where those resources can be available. And we're so lucky to have so many partners that help us with skills training and coaches training and so many things. But at the end of the day, we started to really look at the youth coming to our our fields and coming to practices and coming to games. And many of them are experiencing a significant level of poverty. And so we started to thinking about what they're going back home to and how do we address academic loss and academic needs? How do we address their health concerns, whether that be dental screenings, eye screenings, vision screenings? How do we make sure they have basic necessities like food. And so the Dodgers Dream Team program is really focused on addressing all of the social injustices, all of the social insecurities that our underserved youth are experiencing in neighborhoods while they still get to play baseball and softball. And so you use the sport as a hook, right, around engagement. And some of those young people, they want to be amazing athletes one day. Some of them just want to be a part of something. And so Dodgers Dream Team gives you a chance to be a part of something and they make a choice as to what you're going to truly engage in and what you're going to truly accept. But you have open doors, you have access, you have opportunity, you have something that's very different than what you had before, right in your own neighborhood. Yeah, that's great. You know, up our way, we partner with the San Francisco Giants to build baseball fields every year for their Junior Giants program. But the field program you have here, you're reaching a very large milestone and I've driven by some of these fields. What it's really next level, where it's the scoreboard. That was the first thing that stood out <laughs> to me, because everybody wants a scoreboard, and they're so expensive. But not only is it just a scoreboard, but it resembles the shape of the scoreboard at Dodger Stadium. Well thought out. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that is so intentional. Dodgers Dream Fields are unique spaces where we feel that it has been necessary to create green spaces in neighborhoods where they just didn't exist. Baseball and softball spaces where obviously our Dodgers Dream Team participants can play, but so much more. They are baseball and softball fields, but they are safe havens in communities that need them. They are pushing out crime and sometimes just the unwielding situations from parks in local communities. We have built 58 Dodgers Dream Fields to date. We have two actually under construction right now in the city of Inglewood, so we'll have 60 this spring. We actually set out on a goal when we hit 50 fields to build 75 fields by 2033, which is the 
anniversary, 75th anniversary of the Dodgers move to Los Angeles. And so who knows, we might go beyond that at that point. But really right now, we are intent on fields and not just fields, but fields that serve high school youth because we think that continuation in the game is important. Fields that are very specific to softball because we want to continue to encourage girls to play softball and baseball if they want to. And then we have a number of fields that obviously are accommodating for five and 12 year olds throughout the city. So they're in multiple neighborhoods, but you find them where they are needed the most. Yeah. You and I have been in the charity field long enough and have been invited to many fundraisers, some of which might be a little average, just to be polite. And I got the opportunity to go to your gala a few years ago, and it is something to be seen. Tell us about (laughs) how you came about this and the magnitude of it, and where did that idea come from? Yeah, we've been doing the gala since 2015. I have to say we are extremely lucky to have an ownership group that came on board in 2012 and said, we want to create this amazing philanthropic entity that is the Dodgers Foundation. We want it to have deep impact. We want to make sure that we're showing up for Los Angeles and that we're doing something very separate of putting butts in seats at Dodger Stadium, but something that is very mission and vision driven. And then we had sat down and had conversations about how we want to show this to the world. We want to model for Los Angeles and for communities beyond that celebrating your community and celebrating this type of work as a sports team should be normal. The gala is that. It's our opportunity once a year to be on a a big stage and to very visibly share for the city of Los Angeles that the Dodgers Foundation is here and we're showing up for this community. We have big talent, and so it's a concert-style night. To your point, it's a very different night. We get really creative. We have a massive pre-party in a tent that we build in in Lot H at Dodger Stadium. We then proceed on to the the field, and it's like 2,000 of your best friends and you every single year for a full concert. We've had artists to the likes of Jennifer Lopez, Bruno Mars, John Legend, Fleetwood Mac, (laughs) Eric Twin and Fire, Maroon 5, you name it. And we'll do it again this year. It was tough through the pandemic not to have that. And we realized how important it was for us when we bought it back last year to bring people together, ownership, our players, the front office, donors, nonprofit organizations to really celebrate charity and really celebrate philanthropy and to show people, frankly, how much need there is in Los Angeles, but that you can be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very impressive. And I know with the Dodger Foundation, you have so many programs, such as a scholarship program we talked about, College and Career Accelerator, the Science of Baseball Initiative, L.A. Reads, and so many more. Does one of those jump out at you like, this is my favorite or this is my pet project? Not one jumps out at me, probably because they've all been created in this last sort of 10 years of mine, and they all overlap. They are all part of this holistic vision of ours to really make sure that we're tackling a number of problems that youth are facing and giving them an an exorbitant amount of opportunity to participate in something. The STEM work in our science of baseball curriculum obviously helps to ignite the love of science, technology, engineering, and math and put that on baseball fields and put that in local classrooms. 
the L.A. Reads initiative really helps us to clearly address the literacy crisis, right, and to ignite the love of reading in young Dodger fans and young individuals throughout Los Angeles who just feel as though, oh, you tell me the Dodgers are going to say reading's exciting and you're going to bring me players and you're going to have story times, I'll participate. And so all of these initiatives, frankly, to me, they overlap. They go together. They're just another notch in the 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 sort of menu of opportunities that we're offering. And many of them are rooted in education because it is significant for us and it is still somewhat of a gateway for a lot of our communities out of poverty. Yeah, well, well said. Well, I, I just want to thank you again for the opportunity to partner. This time we are bringing in our friends from the Leroy Neiman Foundation to collaborate with the two of us on a youth art studio here in downtown Los Angeles. Tell us a little bit about the Brazil Youth Center here, and we just walked the space today, which I can't even imagine and fathom all the work that they do here. But tell a little bit about all the great work that's happening here just in the shadows of Dodger Stadium. Yeah, we've been partnering with the Breezy Foundation for a number of years now. Excellent people, excellent leadership. What they're doing in this community, you know, just miles from Dodger Stadium is so unique. Breezy's mission is so simple in that they are tackling poverty. So when you think about the immigration services that they're providing or the college access work or the the STEM work that they're doing here at the facility, right? It's pretty phenomenal. The fact that they have 120 youth participating in arts instruction and a dedicated arts teacher to make sure that whether that's used as an intervention tool or a prevention tool, youth and seniors are participating in something, right? And they're getting something that they're probably not going to get anywhere else. Their food distribution. I mean, you name it. They are really taking care of this community. Brazil sits, as they've, as they've mentioned, in you know one of the densest communities here in Los Angeles. You know, a lot of people, when they first land in L.A., this is where they land. There's a lot of folks, unfortunately, during the pandemic, this was a pretty devastating area because it's such a dense area and people live so close to each other. But Brazil hasn't given up. You know, their doors remain open to this community. And there's a lot of residents that are surrounding this community center that rely on them. So I have to say, like, I'm really excited to be introducing you to Brazil. And I'm, I'm really excited about us being able to partner together in hopes of making this happen. Any future plans or hopes for the Dodger Foundation uh, on your wish list upcoming? You know, for me right now, especially on the heels of of this pandemic and I mean, what we're calling recovery, but it also sounds so silly because there was so much need in these communities even before the pandemic. I know that we will remain intentional on utilizing this Dodger brand to amplify the voices and frankly, to provide more open doors to access and opportunity for marginalized communities, because we know that that's going to create better communities, strengthen communities, increase confidence, increase opportunities. And we're going to see some real long-term outcomes from the work that we're doing. So for us right now, it's about double downing and frankly, scaling. It's about how many more people can we serve and how can we continue to spread the benefits that this brand allows us to throughout Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, Nicole, I, I, I hope we can continue to partner to help the youth of L.A., and I want to thank you again for joining me today on the Good Tidings podcast, and I look forward to bringing this new art studio here to fruition sometime this spring. Thanks, Larry. So looking forward to continuing to partner with you. We've appreciated you so very much. We hope you've enjoyed another episode of the Good Tidings podcast, hosted by Good Tidings Foundation founder Larry Harper. For more information on all the good we're doing, go to goodtidings.org.